Thank you, Jonathan. We are going to be talking this morning about giving, about generosity, giving to the Lord's work. And I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, maybe your Thanksgiving helped you prepare to be generous over this Christmas season. Uh, I wanted to share this. It just says, um, I saved a ton of money on Christmas gifts discussing politics during Thanksgiving dinner. Um, that's one of the things that my family is really good for. We, could, we can get into debates about, you know, you name it, anything. Um, although I will say this, this year's Thanksgiving was very peaceful. Nobody got mad, yelled at anybody, nobody left. You know, it was just, it was a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I hope that you all had the same type of um, Thanksgiving. You know, we, uh, last week, we were looking at the book of Philippians, and we looked at contentment, and really the root of contentment is our relationship with Christ. We have the greatest possible treasure in the person of Christ. And so if you have Jesus, then you're satisfied if he's your most valuable possession, if he's what you value most. And one of the things that we're going to find out this morning is that um, our, what we do with our money is also a reflection of our affections. Our, we give to the things that matter. We spend money on things that are a priority to us. And so that's what we're going to be considering this morning as we look at just an amazing value uh, um, example in the Philippian church. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says this, Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Investing is certainly an expression of what we really value. Now, um, when you heard, when I mentioned that I was going to be teaching on giving, um, what, what came across your mind? Like, like how, did, how, did, how did you respond to that? Were you thinking, oh, good, I want to hear what the Bible says about giving? Uh, were you thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be pressured for money today? Or did you have no thoughts at all? You know, I think about just my own personal giving, and I've shared this in the past, but one of the things I remember as a kid is going to church, and our family really struggled financially, but one of the things is that there was never a Sunday that my mom didn't put something in the offering plate. And I'm sure that, you know, when the church accountants were examining our church budget, we made like no impact in that significantly. And I remember as a little kid, my mom would give me quarters and I would just put them in the plate when the plate came by. So it was just like this habit that um, this thing that I saw in, in our parents' life. And um, one of the things that I, for me personally, I was a new Christian and I had been attending this church and they were preaching on giving. And one of the things we really struggled with in this church that I was attending was parking. Like there was nowhere for anywhere, anyone to park. And so it was just this daily struggle. And so the church was going to build a, you know, build, get some property and build more parking. And uh, one of the things that the pastor was talking about was, you know, you can give to this thing. And if you are being blessed by a ministry and if this church is helping you, you should give to help the church. And I remember I was probably 18 years old. And I was sitting up in front, and I was just thinking to myself, I wish, you know, how come these people don't give more? I mean, obviously, we got plenty of people. We should be able to afford this parking lot. And I was just thinking about how everybody else should be giving. And then it occurred to me that probably since the time my mom gave me a quarter to put in the plate, I had never given a thing. 
And, and I don't know why, but I just didn't feel like this sermon had anything to do with me. I felt like it was for everyone else. And it was interesting because that's actually the day that the Lord really started working on my heart. And I remember going home that Sunday and just thinking, why do I think that this applies to everybody else and not me? And it was just one of the greatest giving and generosity and giving to the Lord's work and evaluating what that means in a person's life and in your life was such an incredible blessing for me. And so that's when I started giving. And one of the things that I thought about is um, I, I thought about, man, I was missing understanding what giving was and how that should impact every believer. And so as my kids were growing up, I always thought, you know, what are the things that, that I wish adults knew? What are the things that I wish I knew? And so from the time my kids were little, I started teaching them what it meant to think about the world and to think about life from God's perspective. And I just thought there's a lot of people that don't think about giving rightly. So I thought I'm going to help my kids. So from the time my kids were little, um, every time they got money, every time somebody gave money for their birthday, every time they got money for Christmas, anytime that money came into their life in any way, I told my kids, you need to give 10%, you need to save 30%, and you need to spend the rest. Uh, one of the things I wanted to help my kids understand is the importance of spending. Like, we don't know that we're going to live till tomorrow. And sometimes we just hoard things and we, we hold on to things. And it's like people die. And, like, then what good is their money? So I taught my kids we give to God, we save, and we enjoy the good things that God has given us. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, um, I, I remember one time one of my kids got a little older and, and uh, they had just made this decision. Like, and we made our kids pay for all their own stuff, too. So when they got jobs, we made them pay for gas, and, you know, we made them do all these things. And I remember one of my kids had a lot of things that they needed to, uh, you know, spend money on. And they just were praying about it and just decided that they were going to give 30% of their income. And I remember as a parent, you know, it's like you pray that your kids would be committed to the things of the Lord, and then you find out one of your kids is, wants to be a missionary, and you're like, oh, no, don't do that. And it's like, so, so my kid is like, saying, I've really prayed about it, and I'm trusting the Lord, and I'm just going to give 30% of what I make. And I remember thing, I, I had to, like, grab the words and put them back in my mouth before I said it. Don't, don't do that. You know, 10% is enough. Don't give more. Um, and then I just thought, wait a second. Do I really believe all these things that I've been teaching my kids? And so it just was a really um, awesome thing for us to think through what our affection, what the things that we love, how that impacts what we do with the resources that God gives us. You know, I don't know if you know this, but, um, you know, poor people are among the most generous demographic in the United States. Uh, there's this Philanthropy News Digest that just says this, recent surveys have found that not only do the poor donate more per capita than individuals in higher income brackets, but that their generosity tends to remain higher during economic downturns. You ever thought about why that is? Why, why poor people can be the most generous? I think sometimes it's because they know what it's like to struggle. Their hearts go out to people. They're thankful for, for what they have. Did you know that, I mean, of course, the United States is the most generous country in the world. 
And Christians are the most generous individuals. Uh, Christians give. Um, um, individuals in America gave $471 billion in 2020, and that's up 5% from the year before. Uh, the, the greatest source in the United States of, of charitable giving is not from rich organizations. It is from individuals. In 2020, the majority of tele, uh, charitable dollars went to religion. Uh, more than to almost, almost double any other category. Uh, believers and Christians are generous people. Now, when you talk about Christians, the, um, the non-practicing Christians, so those are people that would just label themselves as Christians versus practicing Christians. So the blue lines there are the practicing Christians. Those are people who go to church, who put their faith uh, to work in their life. Um, 91% give to their church. That's 91%. Um, missions organizations, 75% of practicing Christians are generous toward missions, reaching the lost. Uh, local organizations, food banks, shelters, 70% of Christians are looking around at what's around them, looking around for needs, and they are meeting those needs. Um, uh, not an organization, but to individuals in need, 64% of Christians give to other individuals that they see in need, not just to organizations. I think it's interesting, way down on the list, is political groups. Um, you know, it's, it's like that's, that's where people give the least money. Like, and what would you say about this list? As Christians, we care about politics. We vote. We care about the good of our country. But when you think about priorities, I think this, this chart is interesting in what it expresses. And so we're going to consider um, three important things this morning about giving. Um, as believers, we should be people who give. And I love the Philippian church. They are such a good example of valuing the right things. And so we're going to see that this morning, you and I, as believers, as mature believers, we need to commit ourselves to pure motives in both giving and receiving. That's one of the things that we're going to see in our passage is that Paul's going to talk to the Philippians about giving but he also was a person who actually received from those, that Philippian church. So we need to have pure motives in our giving and in our receiving. The second thing is that we need to be committed to making eternal investments. And I think that that is the heart of what we do with money. We all invest in things that matter to us. Some people, every dollar they get, they spend it on fun today. And that's because that's what matters to them. There are other people that they really prioritize and focus saving for retirement because their, financially, their financial security is what matters to them. But the question is, if our heart is in eternal things, will we not give for eternity, for the sake of eternity, making eternal investments? And then the third thing is, is we need to be people who are committed to trusting God's provision in our life. Because if we feel like, man, I need to hoard this, I need to hold on to it, I need to save this because I don't know where my food is coming tomorrow. 
I need to make sure I can take care of myself rather than understanding that everything that we have comes from God. As I think through, um, you know, just what I was doing with my kids as I taught them to give, um, I was a dictator in my home. So when they got money and I said, you're giving 10%, Um, I I did control what my kids did, but I actually realized that me forcing my kids to do things, in some ways, I can teach them habits, I can create habits, I can make them do things, but that's actually not what God calls us to do for other people. You cannot force other people to have a right heart. And so part of what I was trying to help my kids understand is that God loves us and God God, God holds everything that we have in his hands. And and I taught my kids to think about giving from a spiritual perspective because I wanted them to be an adult that did the right things for the right reasons. I remember sitting next to Jackson, you know, and he'd like drop in his, you know, 35 cents. And I would sit in the front row and I'd say, hey, Jackson, you know that 35 cents you gave this week? He's like, yeah. I'm like, look at all the worship people up there. You know those song sheets? that they're reading off of, you bought those. And helping him think about those things and see those things and to consider what does it mean about us when we view our finances the way God tells us to view our finances and that giving is not a religious duty. It is a reflection of our heart for the Lord. And that's ultimately, I didn't want to teach my kids those other things. I wanted to teach them to love the Lord and to live in light of that. And so as we consider this, uh, let's just read Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. And I just want to remind you that in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is saying that his circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Um, He is committed to sharing the gospel. He's in prison, but he's glad because people are coming to know Christ. In chapter 2 of Philippians, you see Paul talking about humility, considering the needs of others more important than yourself. And then he gives these examples, Jesus being the perfect example, himself, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Chapter 3, the, the apostle Paul is just talking about his heart, how Jesus, he is, he is considered everything lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, um, he talks about unity. And then he's going to talk here about contentment and generosity. Look at Philippians 4.10. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking from being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. We need to be committed to pure motives in giving and receiving. You know, the Apostle Paul says that he was not motivated by his own want, by his own need. And he talks about these Philippians reviving their concern for him. Paul 
um, did not encourage them to give so that he could get. Um, it, it's interesting when he talks about their concern for him and their love for him, that is what motivated their giving. The Philippians gave to Paul because they loved him and because he was committed to proclaiming the gospel and they cared about the gospel and they wanted it to go out. So what motivated them? What drove them? And for the apostle Paul, what motivated him and what drove him? You know, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, if you flip over to there, it says, I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Um, and then he, he, uh, he goes on and he says, so, that, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. For the Apostle Paul, they loved him, they cared about him, and here's the issue is that they were committed to eternal things. And, and, and Epaphras risked his life to go minister. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about what motivated the Philippians to give. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Do you know where Philippians is, the Philippian church? In Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in, the we in a wealth of generosity. For they gave, for they gave according, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You know, these Philippians were a poor church. They were in poverty. And when they found out that there was a need, they were begging, God, please allow us. Paul, let us contribute and participate in meeting these needs. It did their hearts so much good. They wanted to give. And they gave beyond their means. Why? Because first, they had given themselves to the Lord. Often, uh, we're not generous with our resources the way we should because we have not completely given ourselves to the Lord. You know, there's uh, often people can, um, be, when they're asking for money, they can be driven and motivated by selfishness. Uh, we've all seen the TV preachers that manipulate people and take advantage of people and just try to get as much money as they can for themselves. I was reading a, a story in, uh, by Warren Wiersbe. He, he tells a story of somebody that he evidently knew. And he just says this. Uh, he talks about this pastor that came to a church. And he says, this young pastor came to a church that had been accustomed to raising its annual budget by means of suppers and fundraisers and, and the like. 
And he just said, you know, we shouldn't constantly be haranguing people for money. And instead, he told his officers he could not agree with the way that they had gone about this. He said, let's just pray and ask God to meet every need. And at the end of the month, pay all the bills and leave my salary until the end. And if there isn't enough money for my salary, then I'm the one who suffers and not the church. But I don't think anybody's going to suffer. And it goes on. It just says that, that the church and the pastor were blessed. There's often that people talk about generosity and giving to the Lord's work. And that's not actually what drives and motivates them. But for the Apostle Paul, it genuinely was what motivated him. And he just says, man, I, I, I desire not the gift you're giving, but the spiritual credit that goes to your account. He genuinely cared about the Philippians' um, best interests. Look at verse 11 in chapter 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Paul wasn't trying to solve his own problems. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul was giving with good motives. Now, have you thought about the, the role that contentment plays in giving? Um, when you realize that every circumstance, everything in your life really comes from God's hands, when you're struggling, that's something God has allowed. When you are blessed, when you have an abundance, that is something that comes from the hand of God. And when we recognize that everything that we have comes from God, it allows us to pursue God and to be faithful and to, uh, to pursue the things that God has called us to do, knowing that God can meet our needs. And so we need to be pursuing the right motives in our giving. Here's the second thing. We need to commit to making eternal investments. Commit to making eternal investments. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, think about this, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The Philippian church was the only church that was supporting the Apostle Paul. He goes on and he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the, seek the fruit that, that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So these Philippians were giving to God. They were making eternal investments. They were investing in the Apostle Paul's ministry. And when we think about this, um, a few verses, um, it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, uh, the Apostle Paul talks to the Thessalonian church, and he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor, labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel to you. This is one of the things that you saw for the Apostle Paul. He never wanted people to be confused about his motives. He never wanted people to think that I'm in this for what I can get. So when he went to the, to the Thessalonian church, he worked with his own hands to supply his own needs. And we also find out 
that he took money from the Philippians when he was ministering to the Thessalonians. Um, also in 1 Corinthians, uh, the 1 Corinthian church was, was a church that the Philippian church loved Paul. The, the Corinthian church were always complaining about Paul. Have you ever seen churches like that? They always complain. They're always unhappy. There's lots of strife and difficulty within the church. And so some churches are loving. Some churches struggle. And the Corinthian church was always struggling with the way they viewed things. And did you know that the apostle Paul would not take money from the Corinthian church? This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 4. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority does not the law say, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he certainly speak for our sake? This was written for our sake. So the apostle Paul is saying this principle about letting oxen eat food as they're grinding it, the, the purpose behind that is that we would understand a principle, and God's actually writing this thing in the Old Testament about how you treat animals so that we would understand how God wants us to treat other people. And then he goes on, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then he goes on and he says this, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endured anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So the Apostle Paul is looking at the Corinthian church. He's just saying, you guys have such a bad attitude. You don't understand how God would intend for you to, to think about people and ministers and contributing and supporting the people that are ministering to you. He says, I'm just telling you this because I'm going to teach you how to think, but I'm not going to let you do it for me because I, w I don't want you to be confused about my motives. And then this is what we read in the, in the book of Acts, and this is on the screen. This is what we read. This is Paul's description of his ministry to the Corinthian church. It says this, after these things, he left Athens and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla, and he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade, they were tent makers. You ever heard about tent making ministries where missionaries go to other countries and they get jobs and they support themselves? Like that's tent maker ministries. It's kind of interesting, the context of this. And it says this in verse 4. It says, and he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul goes and he's doing ministry and he's ministering every Saturday, but he's working Monday through Friday or Sunday through Friday. And then he's ministering on Saturday. So what does it go on to say here in Acts? 
in verse 18, verse 5, chapter 18, verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, that's where the Philippian church is, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So he's tent making, he's working Sunday through Friday, and then he's only ministering on Saturdays until the Philippians' gift arrives. And when the Philippians' gift arrives, he stops working Sunday through Friday, and he starts devoting himself completely to ministry. Did you know that that's why we pay missionaries? That's why we pay people on church staff? We are never paying people to do ministry. Anybody who says to themselves, well, I'll only do this if you pay me, should never be a missionary, should never be on staff. Really, you want me to do that? How much are you going to pay me for that? Anybody (laughs) driven and motivated by money should never be in a place of ministry-supported ministry. The only reason that we ever pay anybody to do ministry is not to try to get them to do it. It's because if they had to have another job, they wouldn't have enough time to do ministry. They would be distracted from the work of ministry. We only pay people to remove the distraction of a job so that they could totally be devoted to things that they would happily do for free. It's interesting how many people have just bizarre views about ministry and why people do ministry and the kinds of things that motivate people to do ministry. If you care ever more about money than the privilege of doing ministry, you shouldn't be in that place. And so that's why we give people money, and that's what um, the Apostle Paul says, I would rather work than take money from you because you're spiritually unfaithful. That's what he said to the Corinthian church. But he happily took money from the Philippians so he could be freed up to minister. And so when these people were giving, uh, they were giving to lay up treasure in heaven. Paul was working to lay up treasure in heaven. And that's what motivates us. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so we give to lay up treasure in heaven. We also give because it makes a difference in the lives of the people that we support. It makes a difference. Look at verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing to God. Um, The Philippians' gifts made a big difference in Paul's life. He went from being in want to having plenty. I remember one time this, this missionary friend of mine went to another country and had no clean water to drink. And um, so th- some people, somebody found out about the need and just said, hey, we, we want to put together some money to get a filter for this well so that this guy and his family cannot drink muddy water. And you know what? It's like, I want 
to give toward that. I want to give knowing that this missionary on the field is not drinking muddy water, but he's drinking clear water. The, the investments, the financial giving make a difference. When you think about the Pregnancy Resource Center, the money that we give goes to help people in a crisis. It saves lives. It makes a difference in people's lives. When you see a homeless person and you give to that person, it makes a difference in their life. So that the investments that we make impact people and a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is part of what drives and motivates us. Here's a third thing when our giving, one of the things that we need to think about is that we need to commit to trusting God's provision. And I think that that is one of the primary things that we need to have correct in our life and in our thinking in order for us to give the way God intends for us to give. It's interesting. Um, it says this in verse 18. It says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, look at verse 19, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking to the Philippians who gave beyond their ability and he says to them God is going to supply and meet every need that you have have you ever thought about that <laughs> one time <laughs> when my kids were little um, one of my kids wanted a color and I can't actually remember which one it was but one of my kids wanted a color so I, I went into the garage and I had this like huge box of paper and, and so I gave him like some paper and then one of their siblings come over, came over and was like, hey, I, I want a color too. And they're like, no, this is my paper. I need to do this. And I was just thinking about how, as a dad, I'm watching this happen. I'm seeing one of my kids want to draw. I'm seeing them hoarding their paper. And I'm seeing one of my other kids really wanting to draw. And I'm just looking at that, and, and I was just, and I actually ended up talking to my kids about this afterwards when they weren't sharing. And one of the things that, that I told my kids, I said, you know, I'm your dad, right? And I love you. I care about you. You really want to be able to draw. And, and I want you to be able to draw. And when you see your sibling who also wants to draw, so we had a little conversation about caring about other people's needs as much as your own. But I also said, um, do you think it's possible that if you give your paper to your sibling that I'm going to let you sit there with nothing to draw on? I mean, am I not a good dad that loves you? And I take him out to the garage, and I'm like, do you have any idea how much paper I have? Like, look at all this paper. And so we gave the sibling some paper, and I gave them some paper, and I said, there's a lot more where that came from. And I was just thinking about the fact that often we... We don't, we don't fully understand that God owns everything. Do you think God's going to see you being generous to his work, being generous to somebody that he loves and cares about, being generous in meeting the gospel, the needs of the gospel, and he's going to let you go without because you're generous in meeting those needs? No way. And, and Paul just tells these Philippians he just tells them that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. You know, it's one of the reasons that the Old Testament is so important for our Christian living. 
one of the reasons that we need to be reading the Bible ourselves and teaching our kids and having them read the Old Testament so that they can actually understand the person of God and who God is and how he works. It says this in uh, Exodus 12, 35. This is when um, the Israelites were leaving Egypt. And it says, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Have you ever thought about that? The Egyptians hate the Israelites. The Israelites are their slaves. And God's destroyed the whole nation of of Egypt. He's destroyed it all, and he's taking Israel out, their labor force. And God tells Moses, tell the people in Israel to go to the Egyptians and say, hey, can we have stuff? I mean, you would think to yourselves, what are you talking about? We're, we're losing our labor force. And, and you're just going to say, can we have stuff? But God, like, made the Egyptians, like, granted them favor. <laughs> you're funny. Granted them favor in the Egyptians' eyes, and God just, like, makes the Egyptians go, yeah, here, take our clothes, take our gold, take our silver. And the Egyptians just give the Israelites everything. Like, that's insane. Why did that happen? Because God says, you are going to walk out of Egypt with everything they have, and I'm going to make them give it to you. There, God granted them favor. He worked on the Egyptians' hearts so that they wanted to give. Have you ever thought about that? Um, Every time anybody gives you anything, it's because God wanted them to give it to you. Like so often we receive gifts, we get raises at work, these, these good things happen to us, and we, 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 we're disconnected from the fact that you only have that because God gave it to you. See, when we don't teach our kids these things and they don't learn to think about life as it should be, when you and I are not thinking about life as we should think about it, man, we are ill-equipped to handle life. When you think about Deuteronomy, how about Deuteronomy 29.5? After they're wandering around in the wilderness and God says this, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn off your feet. You ever think about that? When you have a car that doesn't break down? When you live in your house and there's nothing major that you have to repair? You know, I remember this, this one kid quit going to church. This kid gets saved. He's in youth group for a number of years, and then he quits going to church. And, and so I went and found him at his shoe store where he was working. And I just said, so, uh, dude, what's up? How come you don't go to church anymore? He's like, well, I got to work. You know, I need to work. And I'm like, really? Well, why do you have to work? He's like, well, my transmission went out of my car. I said, wow, how much did that cost? He was like, oh, man, it was thousands of dollars to get that fixed. I said, that's interesting. I said, um, how much do you make? It, it was when minimum wage was like seven bucks an hour. And I'm like, how many hours do you have to work to pay for that transmission? How many, how many days does it take you to work to pay for that transmission? Man, it was astronomical. And I just said to him before I left, I just said, um, who's in control of whether your transmission goes out? God is. 
and you're going to steal 52 Sundays a year so that you can get more money and God just clicks a button and about the next six years, of your, the, the next year of your labor is gone. See, when we don't read about these things and when we don't think about life the way God intends us to think about it, we don't approach things correctly. But God was caring for them. He was protecting them. And, of course, there's, there's the story in First Kings, which you can read. It's a story about a widow who had nothing. And she's getting ready to make some bread, and she's so poor, and there's a famine. And she's like, you know, I'm just going to make this bread, and I'm going to feed my kid, and then me and my kid are going to die. And Elijah comes up to her and just says, no, don't feed your kid. Make me food first. And after you make me food, God's going to take care of your needs. And so she feeds Elijah, and then her little flour jar, her little oil jar, jar, never ran out in the entire famine. God took care of her, and he met her needs. Have you ever seen a worthy need? Have you ever seen a missionary? Have you ever seen a person struggling and thought to yourself, I'd like to help, but I don't have enough money? I don't have enough resources. See, those are all things that hinder us when we don't actually think accurately about life. When we don't recognize that we need to have the right motives in our giving. We need to have motives that are pleasing the Lord. We need to be generous in laying up treasure in heaven. And we need to think about life from the perspective of eternity. How much is a soul worth? And when we don't think about the fact that God is ultimately our provider, we're heading into this Christmas season, and Christians really should be the most generous people on earth. We should be the people that bless everyone who comes into contact with us. We should be the people that are, that are making investments in eternity. So that should be us. And over this Christmas season, we need to not only have that life of generosity, but actually we need to give the greatest possible gift. Over this Christmas season, that's what we're going to be focusing on, giving Jesus the greatest possible gift. And that's one of the things that certainly it affects our generosity and our giving. But if you really care about eternity, we won't just give money. We will be focused on giving people the truth about who Jesus is, about representing that. You will be less concerned over this season with making sure that your family and friends get the present they want. And you will be more concerned with over this season, can I communicate to my kids, my grandkids, my family member and my friends, can I communicate to them who Jesus is, the amazing treasure of Christ? And can I give that this Christmas? That's going to be our focus. And yes, money is a part of our life, but it's just one part. Uh, what are we doing with our life as a whole? And that should be proclaiming Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, thank you for these examples in Scripture, the example of the Philippians, their incredible generosity. 
Lord, may we be a church like that. May we be people like that. Lord, may we be individuals that represent you faithfully. God, we thank you for the incredible abundance that we have. Lord, help us to be generous in sharing that. And Lord, over this Christmas season, we want to enjoy the holiday. We want to relax. We want to enjoy our family. And yet, Lord, I ask that you would help us not lose sight of why you've put us here on this earth in your name. Amen.